You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. It wasn't about money. It was about killing cops. That chilling motive revealed today about the violent shootout at a Saanich bank in June of last year. As Paul Johnson reports, investigators say the twin brothers behind the attack were carrying a staggering amount of firepower and had been planning their attack for years. This is an event that we will never forget. Last June's shootout in Saanich marked a level of violence many Canadians thought was near impossible in our country. A brazen, broad daylight attack by two men seemingly prepared to lose their own lives and take those of anyone who got in their way. Friday, investigators concluded those observations were correct. It was determined the suspect's primary objective was to shoot and kill police officers. Though they'd held up a bank, the months-long investigation found that the 22-year-old twins, Isaac and Matthew Octorloni, were not after cash, but an opportunity to get into a deadly confrontation with police. After piecing together a wide array of evidence, they say the Octorlonis hated police and hated government and had been planning a massacre for years. Despite previous speculations, there was no evidence found to suggest any third party was involved. Witness accounts of a possible third suspect at the bank proved false. Nor could they find any evidence that anybody else helped them build their arsenal. The SKS rifles and ammo they bought legally and then trained with. So without hitting any legal tripwires, the Octorlonis came frighteningly close to carrying out their nihilistic vision until a brave SWAT team stepped into gunfire to take them out. At Saanich, we are encouraging our officers and staff to remember this day as one that innocent lives were protected and saved by police officers. So the question was put to the investigators here, looking back, was there any point at which these guys should have been flagged and stopped? They didn't have an answer to that question. And one takeaway is that in a free society like ours, it can be astonishing how far people with a dark plan can get if they fly under the radar and play by the rules. In Saanich, Paul Johnson, Global News. Police are asking for the public's help following the discovery of two bodies in Coldstream. They say the deaths and injuries are suspicious and they've taken one man into custody. Investigators are looking for anyone with dash cam footage from 5 to 6 a.m. January 17th near Highway 97 between College Way and Kalamalka Lakeview Drive in Coldstream and Francis Road between 25th and 35th Avenue in Vernon. Any witnesses are asked to call RCMP. Seven years after the death of Miles Gray, a coroner's inquest has been set. The Sunshine Coast man died in 2015 from injuries sustained in a violent altercation with Vancouver police officers. Sarah McDonald reports the same officers who have refused to fully cooperate with investigators could be compelled to testify. More than seven years since Miles Gray died of injuries sustained during a violent encounter with Vancouver police. 
mystery still surrounds the circumstances of his death, despite multiple officers having witnessed his final moments. They've literally destroyed our lives and that yet they continue to live theirs. Until now, at least seven Vancouver police officers have refused to fully cooperate with investigators and the BC Prosecution Service. But that could change come April when they could be compelled to testify under oath at a long-awaited coroner's inquest. It's going to be absolutely horrific. You know, it's going to be very um, traumatizing. It's probably going to go two weeks long. The coroner told us Miles's body speaks for him. Like, his injuries are what will speak for him. Gray was 33 years old and unarmed when he died in 2015 on the Vancouver-Burnaby border. An autopsy detailing the horrific nature of his injuries, which were so severe a cause of death has never been pinpointed. A fractured voice box, a ruptured testicle, a broken nose, sternum and eye socket, and a dislocated jaw. Gray's hands and feet were bound. These are the same people who weren't willing to cooperate and we're going to sit there, listen to whatever they want to say and my brother's not there to speak for himself. In 2020, the BC Prosecution Service declined to lay charges, citing a lack of consistent and complete evidence from the officers. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner is now conducting its own investigation. What they did to Miles is insane. I'm sorry, what they did to him is insane. So. Why are they being so protective? But the mandatory coroner's inquest will find only facts, not legal fault, when it begins on April 17th, with a list of witnesses set to testify to be released just days prior. Sarah McDonald, Global News. The labor shortage that has plagued so many industries this past year is also hitting policing. More than half the forces on the Lower Mainland are facing a staffing crunch. As recruitment efforts heat up, that's leading to some not-so-subtle competition, with officers moving between departments to take advantage of these new opportunities. Catherine Urquhart reports. Are you an experienced police officer? Are you looking for an exciting new challenge? Vancouver police are in the middle of a huge recruitment drive. If you want big city policing, endless opportunities. And the signs are hard to miss. We're going to be hiring up to 100 new officers and more, if potentially. These billboards are strategically placed on Surrey's border, where the future of policing is up in the air. Will it be the Surrey Police Service or the RCMP? They make a decision. You know, how is Surrey supposed to plan? How are the residents supposed to have any sense of confidence if there's total uncertainty about who's even going to be their police force? Sources say a decision could still be weeks away. The uncertainty is contributing to increased movement between departments. We've just recently sworn in eight experienced officers from other departments that have come to us from the RCMP, Surrey Police Service, Delta Police, Metro Vancouver Transit Police. SPS has impacted other departments as well. Delta says it went over strength ahead of Surrey's hiring, while Port Moody confirms some of its officers have transferred to Surrey Police. For its part, SPS says they believe we have had four officers return to their originating agencies total since 2021. It creates a huge amount of uncertainty for RCMP members, for the new Surrey Police members, for the public, for the administration, for the mayor, everybody. Please make a decision, govern. For Vancouver Police, the largest department in the province, they're anticipating any decision could be positive for them. If it's the Surrey Police Department stays, then the RCMP members that are in Surrey right now, they have the opportunity to come to us 
to join us. And if the opposite way, if the Surrey Police Department decides to fold, then those officers have that opportunity to come to us as well. Nicholas? Of course, all this badge swapping between departments comes with costs for administration and sometimes training. Costs paid by the taxpayer. The Vancouver Police Department is the place to be. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Gas prices in parts of B.C. could be about to go from bad to worse. That's according to Calibrate, a company that conducts a daily survey of gas prices. It says we can expect to break 2022 record highs by 10 to 15 cents a litre. The forecast is calling for prices to hit as high as 265 a litre for regular by the summer. What we're, what we're expecting to see our refinery outages, uh, a number of refineries delayed outages in the summer of 2022. With the strong margins and strong prices in the gas markets, they delayed some mandatory work. And unfortunately now they will have no choice but to go down in the summer of 2023, leaving us with less refining capacity in 2023 than we had in 2022. Analysts say crude prices will continue to climb with no immediate relief on the horizon. A Vancouver Island councillor says it's time to step up fines for people who speed. There are heavy fines for excessive speeding in B.C., but for those who can afford to drive luxury cars, those punishments probably don't add up to much. So as Travis Prasad reports, why not tie those fines to income? I had them over 150K an hour. Excessive speeding typically brings with it a fine of several hundred dollars. In this North Vancouver street race turned crash, each driver was hit with $1,500 in tickets. Lots of money for some, but maybe not for others. Right now, fines are a flat rate. A district councillor on Vancouver Island is proposing a new system for traffic fines, saying the current model is broken. There's two problems with these fines. The first is that they disproportionately punish people with lower incomes. And the second aspect is they fail to adequately serve as a deterrent to the extra wealthy. And so the idea here is a means-tested fine system. In other words, the more money you make, the more you'd be fined. Speeding tickets are tied to personal income in some European countries, including Finland, where it starts with half of your daily income and is multiplied based on how fast you were driving. According to Finnish media, NHL player Rasmus Ristolainen was fined the equivalent of $174,000 Canadian in 2019 for driving twice the speed limit. It's really important that we look at innovative ways of improving road safety, and this is one of those ways. Criminal lawyer Kyla Lee believes means-tested fines could be an effective deterrent, but points to potential loopholes. A lot of individuals like doctors, lawyers, accountants um, run their income through a professional corporation, and so the amount of money that they actually have access to isn't reflected in personal tax returns. So it does still advantage the wealthy. That's going to be sort of one of the uh, challenges that we need to address with this policy. The motion goes to Saanich Council next week. Happy to look at any suggestion that people bring forward. This one is, a, is an interesting one, I'll say that. With the hope of getting the B.C. government to explore the idea later this year. Travis Prasad, Global News. Well, you can now buy or sell items under the watchful eye of the Coquitlam RCMP. Mounties setting up an exchange zone outside the local detachment. Police say the area is meant to facilitate a safe place for buyers and sellers to make transactions. There is a sign posted on a brick wall stating the exchange zone is under 24-7 surveillance and warning potential thieves they will be caught. 
Parents, students and staff of two B.C. municipalities are being warned to be vigilant after their school district suffered a security breach. Madagahi has the details and what risks are posed by the breach. The warning came in a form of an email sent out to parents of students in School District 42 notifying them of an unauthorized disclosure of personal information that may impact their child. SD42 is the Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows School District. It says investigations are underway after it learned that somehow personal information records were shared online. It is believed more than 19,000 individual records were released containing full names, school and departments, email addresses and student grade. What's more is with the number of files being so large, SD42 believes they belong to both students and staff. In an attempt to ease concerns, the district told parents this information was easily attainable, considered low sensitivity, adding it has no evidence that more critical information was disclosed. Nevertheless, cyber experts warn any information belonging to young students can be dangerous if it falls into the wrong hands. I think this is pretty concerning. A lot of personal information, including uh, emails, have been leaked out. And in most cases, uh, those are always used for phishing uh, attacks, basically trying to get people to give up even more information for things like identity theft. Now, despite the situation affecting so many students and so many staff, the superintendent of School District 42, Harry Dillon, was not made available for interview. Imadagahi, Global News. The Vancouver Renter Office cost nearly $2 million to run over the past three years, but questions are being raised about just how effective it really was, what the numbers showed, and why councillors voted to shut it down. That's next on the News Hour. Now, what does it mean to you to be a head coach in the city? I'll talk later. An emotional Bruce Boudreaux later tonight on the News Hour. Plus, the potential for snow after today's beautiful sunshine, where it could hit tomorrow, and the timing still to come. Right now, though, it's being described as another big step on the path to reconciliation. The B.C. government has reached four new agreements with Treaty 8 First Nations for land restoration and resource revenue sharing and creating a new framework for development planning in the northeast of the province. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the historic agreements. Keith. Yeah, two days ago we saw that historic uh, agreement with the Blueberry River First Nations in the Peace River area. Uh, again, resulting from a court case in uh, June 2021 in B.C. Supreme Court ruling that the cumulative effects of industrial activities had uh, abrogated the treaty rights of First Nations there who have signed treaties, eight tre uh, First Nations in all. Today, four more nations joining to approach a, more, a collaborative approach with industry and government when it comes to oil and uh, gas exploration and forestry in the Peace River area. Chief Charlene Gale of the First Nations, First Nation, uh, Fort, Fort Nelson First Nations, pardon me, says it's a historic deal and it's a whole new way of managing the land. Well, I really believe this agreement, this new agreement represents a beginning, a chance to chart a new course. Um, you know, restoration and control over our land use planning is important and our nation will be able to control our economic opportunities and how they're developed on our lands. Um, it's, a, it's a really great opportunity um, just going forward. And I know that there's been a lot of sweat and tears put into this work and a lot of people really lifting us up behind the scenes to make this possible. 
So it's important to note that oil and gas exploration will continue to be done in the Peace River area, as will forestry. It's just that now First Nations has a partnership in terms of who controls the activities there, how much activities are undertaken in the future. Interesting to note, this has the full support of industry as well. Even though these are treaty nations, and there's only eight of them, uh, most uh, vast majority of First Nations are not do not have treaties, this could be a template to be used from time to time in, uh, in managing the land in other First Nations ancestral lands. A very historic week when it comes to relationships mm -hmm. between First Nations, industry, and government. All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria tonight. In a move condemned by Vancouver's three opposition councillors, the ABC majority voted this week to close down the city's renter office. That decision coming as the city is in the midst of an affordability crisis. But as Kristen Robinson reports, there were questions around the office's efficiency. It had no physical presence, but since 2019, the city of Vancouver's renter office worked to advise tenants of their rights during a housing crisis, using money from the empty homes tax. For three years of funding, it was uh, just over 1.8 million. Despite staff recommendations that uh, failed, the ABC majority council voted in a late amendment Wednesday to end the initiative launched through a 2018 motion from Councillor Pete Fry. This was a decision that was made in a back room to kill this office with no indication to the public that it was coming. How can we serve more people, serve more renters? Because based on this number... The city's renter office responded to an average of 372 inquiries per year in its first four years. 40% of those were city-related. The office had seven full-time equivalent staff for an average of just over one inquiry per day. The reality is, not only is it on average one call per day, 60% were other issues related to um, other jurisdiction. So we feel very confident that with uh, our direction to staff to create a six-month transition plan, no renters will fall through the cracks. Fry says the renter office was also looking at the bigger picture surrounding land use and development permits and driving significant decisions around the Vancouver and Broadway plans, which will impact tenants. Yes, we had a front-facing answer-the-phone kind of component, but more importantly, this was about policy and direction. We know that we have a scourge of, of illegal rent evictions that happen in our city. We have conversions to short-term rentals. This knits all those pieces together. ABC says the renter office was directing people to the residential tenancy branch and nonprofit groups for legal support, the city cannot provide. I think that there was quite a bit of duplication of service. Council instead approved 750,000 in renter service grants and will provide a city-owned space on Howe Street as a future walk-in office for the Tenant Resource and Advisory Centre, or TRAC. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Up next, pivoting at an island paper mill. Hopefully longevity and employment. The new products aimed at saving jobs in the struggling forestry sector. Plus, want to buy a big boat? BC Ferries is taking bids on the oldest vessel in its fleet. Big delays for westbound traffic here on Highway 1 in Burnaby. There's a two-car crash blocking the fast lane westbound, just west of Gillardy. Renew your ICBC Auto Plan online and with BC's most trusted insurance brand. Just select BCAA as your preferred broker. Learn more at bcaa.com slash car. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. High above a crash on Highway 1 in Burnaby.
jobs are coming back to the Crofton Mill on Vancouver Island, but what that mill produces will be something new. A joint federal-provincial investment of nearly $19 million is allowing the mill to retool. It's much-needed support for the struggling sector. Richard Zussman reports. 100 workers soon to be back on the job. So grateful. This is the first step in hopefully getting another machine going. Premier David Eby announcing Friday, months after closure was announced, Crofton's Paper Excellence Facility will be back up and running. Nearly $19 million in federal and provincial money coming to help retool the mill. This proposal isn't just about opening the closed paper mill. It's also about our whole province's goal about reducing carbon pollution. For example, this mill will produce water-resistant paper cutlery to replace plastic. The announcement wraps up de facto forestry week, where EB made four major announcements. We've had uh, bad land use planning across our province. We've had short-term thinking that's made some very serious problems worse. Government investment can be critical and it's, it's very needed, um, but it's there really to leverage private sector investment. The sector has been seeking certainty before making those investments. Some of that clarity coming in new deals signed this week, but there are still questions on the exact impact of those First Nation agreements. This uh, agreement sort of breaks that logjam, hopefully, and opens up opportunities for permits for all of the different resource sectors to begin to flow, but within a new framework. Nobody is exactly sure what that new framework is going to look like. One of the issues the government hasn't addressed are the fees and taxes that the forestry operators in this province pay that those in other jurisdictions don't. The employer's health tax, the stumpage fees, uh, interest rates. I mean, there's, there's a huge gamut of pressures that are on them financially in British Columbia that other jurisdictions don't have, making it easier for them to invest in other places. The province not considering those changes for now. Instead, focusing on a new EV priority, getting the maximum value for each of BC's logs. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. BC Ferries is saying farewell to its oldest vessel. After 58 years of service, the Powell River Queen sailed for the last time between Campbell River and Quadra Island on Tuesday. The 400-passenger boat is now being sold with the highest offer sitting at $85,000. So far, 18 offers have been placed. The Powell River Queen was designed by Arthur McLaren and was built at the Victoria Machinery Depot, entering service in 1965. Just ahead, a wrong way ticket with no real recourse. This is what we get in return for a very simple mistake, and I'm sure we're not alone. When an Ontario man made a booking error, how Air Canada showed no sympathy until Global News stepped in. Plus, new research about kids and concussions and how staying home from school may not be the best answer. Traffic is steady in both directions here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just got some slow-moving trucks heading north at about mid-span. Through a charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A month after some of the worst holiday travel delays in memory, Canada's airlines are now sorting out thousands of complaints. 
In December, carriers pleaded with consumers for understanding and patience after bad weather, scheduling and staff issues left people stranded or unable to travel at all. But what happens when a traveler makes a minor mistake? Can they expect the airline to understand or make it right? Sean O'Shea reports. So we decided to book Air Canada from Sudbury to Toronto. For Phil Rael and his wife, they had no choice. Air Canada is the only scheduled airline with service to Toronto's Pearson Airport. Cost for two tickets? Roughly $820. But there was a problem with that return flight in February, the start of a trip to the sunny south. This is what we get in return for a very simple mistake, and I'm sure we're not alone. A mistake discovered a few days later. It doesn't look right. Phil and his wife believed they were going from Sudbury to Toronto, from north to south, where they had to connect on another carrier. But then realized the routing he booked started from Toronto to Sudbury. It was the wrong way around. The flip flight was Phil's mistake, and he admits that. But what about all those flight delays, cancellations, misplaced bags, and lost luggage just a month ago? Air Canada would like people to understand and move on. But if a customer makes a mistake, there's apparently no consideration, no discretion. Phil checked the flight and telephoned to an Air Canada agent and a manager. The plane was still three-quarters empty. Technically, airlines are bound by the terms and conditions of the fares they sell. They're not obligated to make exceptions for anyone. But four weeks after all that chaos at airports, when thousands of customers were inconvenienced through no fault of their own, you might think Air Canada would be trying to repair its image a little. And they've learned nothing. Absolutely nothing. We asked Air Canada for comment. In a statement, Air Canada told us, we're reviewing this file and dealing with the customers directly on a goodwill basis. Two hours later, the airline refunded Phil and his wife the full amount in a flight credit they'll use later this year. Reminding travelers they have 24 hours to cancel a booking on any fare type. After that, you're likely on your own if you made a mistake, regardless of how many other problems that could be blamed on the airline. Sean O'Shea, Global News. A new study suggests getting kids back to school sooner rather than later after a concussion may be beneficial. The research found kids between the ages of 8 and 18 who returned to school in fewer than three days after injury actually showed a better recovery than kids who stayed home from school longer. The reason, according to researchers, an early return allows kids to be moderately active and see their friends, which apparently increases blood flow. The study also says it's important to excuse kids from sports and gym activities where they might hit their head again. Coming up, a true team player. It was just so selfless of her um, to step up, but not surprising at all. How an on-ice friendship led to a life-saving gift. And a stormy forecast shuts down part of the seawall, the precautionary measure and the potential for snow higher up next. Join the new Global BC Arts and Culture Scene segment as we explore all the people and places that make our creative community so special. So come make the scene. The Global BC Arts and Culture Scene on Global BC and BC One. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. When they met seven years ago in their small southern Alberta town, neither of them had any way of knowing they would go on to forge a bond like no other. As Jill Croteau reports, that connection would lead them to the operating room for an organ donation. 
there's something about small towns and their sports. It's often the heart of the community. The rink is where friendships are found, and this particular one between two Strathmore, Alberta families turned out to be a life-saving connection. On some days I can get like really, really sick, like nauseous, really bad headaches and stuff. And that stuff like happens kind of often with no kidneys. Kale Cummings spends most of his days on dialysis and at 13 is reliant on a transplant. I was just like um, concerned, like how long am I gonna have to wait and who's gonna give me a kidney? Turns out one of the women who managed Kale's big sister's ringette team didn't hesitate and she's a match. So I was like, why not see if he can help him be more, right? We're all meant for great things in this world. What's he meant for? It's just an amazing feeling that someone is giving me an organ. It was just so selfless of her um, to step up, but not surprising at all. It's just That's a good idea. Mom. I never right. thought about that too. Yeah. The gift means gratitude beyond words, solidifying a bond between these two moms. There is no thanks needed. There really isn't. The thanks is to see him being able to swim and ride his bike and hang with his friends and live life as full as he wants to, that's the thanks. That's all the thanks I need. I think the reward for everybody will be seeing Kale after the surgery and everything he'll be able to do. And like, I can't imagine that that would be a better thank you for, for Carmen than to have that. Jill Crotel, Global News. Vancouver Parks Board is getting ahead of the wind and rain in the forecast tonight. The city closing down the Stanley Park seawall from the Lionsgate Bridge to Third Beach. Parks Board staff say they're preparing for a king tide combined with wind and rain that could push water up onto paths along the seawall. Staff will decide whether to reopen the seawall tomorrow morning. All right, let's take a closer look at that forecast. Mentioned a bit earlier, Christy, that there's the potential for snow, and I see a big green blob behind you. Yeah, so it's not a warning, certainly, but it's just a special weather statement that has been issued by Environment Canada. So let's break it down for you. Uh, here's what we have moving across the region tomorrow. So this front will move across for the majority of the area across the south coast. Area, uh, everyone will see wind and rain as this front moves across. But the freezing levels are going to drop enough to about 200 meters that we are expecting snow over higher elevations. And I'll point out exactly which areas have that potential, but this is through tomorrow morning, especially, and then into the early afternoons. By the end of the day tomorrow, that will shift out of the way and we are back to sunshine on Sunday. Here's a look at the areas that we're mostly concerned about. So North Shore Mountains, the usual suspects, uh, Westwood Plateau, SFU, for example. But you'll note a few numbers down below here for lower elevations. So I wouldn't rule out a centimeter, maybe two of some slushy wet snow or flakes falling for those of you across lower elevation regions. So watch for slippery conditions on the roads tomorrow, certainly all across the area, but in terms of real snow accumulations, it's higher elevations above about 200 meters. Again, two to five centimeters possible. Those of you across Vancouver Island, it's areas away from the water and higher elevations. So a uh, highway four over towards Tofino and likely the Malahat, but most other areas won't see much at all, except for those of you across Sunshine Coast. And we're going to see snowfall in the interior. So two to four centimeters is possible for those of you in the southern interior. Columbia region could see five to 10 by Sunday morning. So the snow 
snow will continue overnight into your Sunday morning. For the south coast area, though, it all clears out late in the day on Saturday. We are expecting breaks of blue sky and sunshine on Sunday. In the meantime, watch for slushy conditions on the roads throughout the day tomorrow. Majority of that snowfall is for higher elevations, Sophie. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, we've got sunshine on the way for our Sunday. All right, here's tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Lumbee. Nice shot of the sun setting off in the distance. Lots of snow in through the interior. Thank you to Randy for sharing that photo with us. So looks nice. And also nice to see some sunshine, hopefully for the Lunar New Year Parade in Chinatown on Sunday. All right, uh, Squire has raced in, and I mentioned that just to give him a, a minute to catch his breath. I actually, um, <laughs> the Canucks be wearing yes. uh, special Lunar New Year jerseys, just like they did last year. Yeah. And the same man who designed the one last year, which was Year of the Tiger, designed this year's, which is Year of the Rabbit, which I am, apparently. You're a rabbit. I'm a rabbit. Really? Would I think that's guessed? a good sign. Uh, maybe, because you have to, you know, you're nimble and all that. Yes. <laughs> you know? Nimble. Yeah, and I do eat what are carrots. you, Christy? I, you know, it's, I was just trying to think. I think I'm a dragon. Okay, I'll look it I up. I think I'm a okay. break. I'll look anyway, dragon. we'll talk to him. And we'll also talk about the Bruce Boudreaux situation because he got uh, emotional today about what's been happening with him and Canucks management. All right. Thanks, Squire. And later tonight, your weekly reward for making it to Friday. Satellite debris is still to come. Apparently, I'm snobbish and selfish. I never said that. That's my wood tiger. Really? That's what it says. Wow. Did it say anything nice? I have high self-esteem. Well, that's good. <laughs> I don't know if that's good. Of course, that not. also might make you snobbish. I'll look, sure. Yeah, I'll look up the rabbit. Okay, look up the rabbit. But just tell me the good things. Um, Canucks management, and I'm guessing Canucks ownership, does not think Bruce Boudreaux has done a very good job as head coach. They don't like the way his team plays defense or the way his team kills penalties. And that's fair. But what's not fair is the way they have handled Bruce Boudreaux. Management's handling of this situation is actually worse than the Canucks penalty kill. Tonight's game against Colorado and tomorrow's against Edmonton, both at Rogers Arena, could be the final two games of Bruce's time with the Canucks, if the Rick Tockett rumors coming in next week are true. Now, Barry DeLay was down at practice today, where Boudreaux could not hide his feelings towards what's going on with him. Yes, the Canucks do play the Colorado Avalanche here tonight at 7 o'clock, but that's not the story around these parts. The future of head coach Bruce Boudreau, the rumor mill is working overtime. There's word that he could be relieved of his duties as early as Monday with Rick Tockett coming in to replace him. And the great thing about Bruce, ever since he's been here, he's been very genuine and honest anytime we've asked him any questions. And he knows what's going on. And uh, today when asked, he first of all handled it with humor and then genuine emotion about being an NHL head coach. Bruce, with all the speculation. Of what? Oh, okay. Uh, how, how do you personally approach this back to back and, and will you take some time to savor it? I don't know yet. I really, you know, I mean, I'd be a fool not to say that I don't know what's going on, but uh, um, I just, like I said before, you come to work and uh, uh, you realize, you know, how great the game is. No. I've got my wife phoning me saying, you're not on the ice. Is everything okay? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, so you guys are getting it out all over the, the country. So it's, 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 uh, it's tough not to... To, to feel it, but I mean, you just 
look it, you love it, you want to go do it. And so, I mean, that's uh, that's the way I shut it out and uh, is basically just, you know, just realizing how much you care about the game and the players and all that goes on. What'd you tell your wife? I said, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't go on the ice all the time, you know? Like, just, yeah. Bruce, it's how it's you get a little emotional just now. What does it mean to you to be head coach in this league? I'll talk later. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. So we'll see how many more games Bruce Boudreaux has left behind the bench. At least tonight he's got the avalanche. The Oilers come in tomorrow. We're not sure if it depends how the Canucks do, if that will affect how long Bruce stays around here, but it is certainly must-see TV. That's the story from here. Squire, back to you. I feel bad. I know. I do, too. I mean, I know coaches get fired. It happens all the time. And I know, but it, like this, this is It's not, not been done the right no. way. Uh, Bo, well, he's not fired yet, but okay. Uh, Bo Horvat, who, like Boudreaux, is not expected to finish the season, has been named to uh, this year's All-Star Weekend through fan voting. And he will have a friend there as well because Elias Pettersson is coming to the All-Star Game with him. Pretty special. I think my family and I are really excited. Uh, I'm excited to bring the kids and, and uh, you know, expose them to all that kind of stuff. And, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, I don't know if they'll remember it for when they're older, but uh, I definitely will. And um, it's exciting and it's always a fun weekend. So I'm looking forward to it. So the Lunar New Year starts Sunday, and this, as we talked before, is the year of the rabbit. And for the second year in a row, Vancouver artist Trevor Lai, the creator of the very successful cartoon Super Boomy, has designed a special Canucks warm-up uniform for Lunar New Year. Let's watch. Last year, Trevor put a tiger where the orca normally is. This year, he got to work with the skate logo. I'm a lifelong Canucks fan, and the skate was my favorite jersey. And so the first thing I asked them last summer was, okay, we did the tiger and that was based on the orca. So I said, can we do the skate? And then they're like, okay, we'll think about it. And they came back to me, obviously, probably knowing that this was coming. And then they're like, yes, you can. And I was so excited. So like a magician, Trevor had to pull a rabbit out of a skate, so to speak. So one of the things that I really try to do when I do these designs is I don't want you to say, okay, there's a rabbit riding inside the skate, for example. <laughs> Right? Yeah. That's a very literal interpretation. But that's too easy, right? It's, it's too easy. It's yeah. too easy, and it's also not cool. So with that in mind, here is the end result. The rabbit becomes the skate. But there is more to this than meets the eye. Um, there are these shapes in Chinese uh, culture uh, which are called lucky clouds. So I have the rabbit skating on lucky clouds. And then the shoulder patch, if you recall last year, was also very important. Last year was the Chinatown uh, Millennium Gate. And then this year, I want to do something totally different. This year, the shoulder patch is a lantern. The lantern was really about all of us being united under the same sun. And the lantern's a source of light, warmth, hope. And so I felt like I was lighting a, the lantern here. Um, so that's what it symbolizes. I hope this year goes so well that next year I get to complete the hat trick and then do the Year of the Dragon. I want to make that happen. It would be a hat trick. <laughs> I'm sure they'll call him back. Okay, second round of the LPGA Tournament of Champions. It's going on in Orlando, Florida, and Canada's Brooke Henderson, who won twice last year, got into the field of 29. Great approach shot here in 12th to three feet. That would lead to a birdie. And then on 15, a birdie putt. She actually shot a bogey-free 6 under 66. She's at 11 under par, and she has a four-shot lead right now. 
Incidentally, tomorrow, Trevor Lai will be at the uh, Chinatown Storytelling Center mm -hmm. from 4 to 5, talking about, about his the jersey. design that he made for this year's Year of the Rabbit. I, I did look up your rabbit year, and I'm afraid to tell you that apparently when it comes to you and me, tigers uh -huh. and rabbits, some snobs may envy them and do bad things behind their backs. You mean you're going to do bad things behind my back? I mean, I didn't know that, but apparently... <laughs> Don't turn your back. Good luck for the rest of the show. <laughs> He's going to come back because we have... I got to go. I don't trust you anymore. <laughs>
And the watch tells us we don't have much time. So Super Bowl is coming up soon, less than a month. And here's a Super Bowl ad from a couple of years ago. Yeah, just your typical Super Bowl car ad. Right? Or a hilarious beer ad. <laughs> or whatever ad this is. Whatever. But it's a Tide ad. What? It's a Tide ad. What makes it a Tide ad? There are no stains. Look at those clean clothes. What else would this be an ad for? Diamonds? A gift that lasts for a new time. It's time for a cold refresher. <laughs> Tide ad. Fall into the sleep of you. No. Tide. No. Tide ad. Extreme. No. Tide. Tide! Meet the all-new. No, it's a Tide ad. Tide. So, does this make every Super Bowl ad a Tide ad? I think it does. Watch and see. And this <laughs> is a Tide ad. Good night, all. Look how clean our clothes are. <laughs> Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.